Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the rain as we're reminded uh, that you are the God who sends, who sends rain on us and sunshine. And Lord, we are thankful for the rain that replenishes our land. Lord, we are thankful for this time to be together with one another, to be with people who lift us up, who make us laugh, who are there for us in all situations. And Lord, right now, I pray in this moment that our hearts and minds are open to your Spirit. And may your Spirit work in us to transform us more into your image. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So there was this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And I know probably all of you have heard of him before. And some of you might know his story. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon from 605 to 562 B.C. He led the great armies of Babylon and led his, the empire to become the greatest empire in the world during this time. And in 586, Nebuchadnezzar led the armies of Babylon to surround the great and sacred capital of Jerusalem. But you have to know a little bit about the backstory of what happened. Earlier in the story, King Zedekiah made the decision to not pay his tribute to Babylon. Judah, the southern kingdom, was a vassal state at the time, which meant that they were basically being extorted by Babylon for safety and security. Basically, think mobster and business. You know, uh, that's a nice business there. It'd be sure be a shame if something happened to it. That's kind of what was going on here. Nebuchadnezzar looked at Judah and said, it's a nice nation you got there. Sure be a shame if we did something to it. But Zedekiah decided that he wasn't going to pay Babylon anymore. And in fact, he made the calculated decision to move towards Egypt. And well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that. So he surrounded, ransacked, and burned the temple to the ground. The southern kingdom was taken into captivity, and a number of their elite and best students were sent to Babylon to learn the ways of Babylon. And that gives us the book of Daniel. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, and I get it, I thought this was a study of Romans, not Daniel. But I think we needed to start with Nebuchadnezzar for this text. And especially we needed to start in Daniel 4. Even more specifically, Daniel 4, 28-33. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar at this point has everything. He is everything. I mean, his empire is the empire. His power is the power. And in, Nebuchadnezzar, and, in, and in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar looks at everything he has built and he comments on his majesty. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar and at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power for my glorious majesty? What Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten was a little conversation he had with Daniel just a little earlier in the year. You see, Daniel, in Daniel 4.25, interpreting a dream from Nebuchadnezzar, tells him this. 
You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the wild animals. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. You shall eat, be bathed with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. Daniel, interpreting this dream of Nebuchadnezzar, tells him, well, it was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar everything. It was God who gave warrant to Nebuchadnezzar to put Israel in captivity. And it was God who still runs the world. And in this moment that we read in Daniel 4, the reader hears the moment in which Nebuchadnezzar's selfishness and grandiose visions of himself catches him. And in that moment, we hear what Nebuchadnezzar is filled with. Himself. He's filled with himself. He's forgot what Daniel had told him earlier, that it was God who placed Babylon where they are for a particular moment. It's something maybe you and I read just a few chapters earlier in Romans 13. God orders the kingdoms for what God wants the kingdoms to do. God has ordered the powers for God's use in this story of time. And in Nebuchadnezzar, we witness something. We witness this idea that when you are filled with yourself, when you are filled with selfishness, well, then you have this thing where you think you can live forever. You have this thing where everything becomes about you. Did you catch what Nebuchadnezzar said? Look at this capital that I have built with my power in my glorious majesty like nebuchadnezzar when you and i become filled with something other than god all we can see is our own selfishness all we can see is how good we've done things look at what i have created look at my house and what i have created look at my position and what i can do look at my 401k and how well I have done. When we're filled with ourselves, we're filled with our own selfishness. We read about what can and does happen to us when we decide to fill ourselves up with something other than what Paul speaks to in this text for today. In the beginning of Romans, we read of what happened to creation when filled with something other than God. Paul writes, and you remember, a lo- I know, a long time ago, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of a mortal God for the Im- images resembling a mortal human being, or birds, or four- four-footed animals, or reptiles. Sin has a way of doing this. It has a way of bending us into the form and likeness of ourselves. Creation takes on its ways and means of being in the world. We, we, we bend, sin tells us to bend creation into our image, in our means. Throughout Romans 1 and 2, we see what can happen to us when sin becomes the thing in which we feel ourselves. We don't become a very nice people. There's this saying, and I know you've heard it, you are what you eat. You've heard that? You are what you eat. Well, we become that which we fill ourselves up in our life. 
and I'm not talking about food this time. Our value, our worth, and assurance is found in what we place as the most important in our lives. If work, if sports, good grades, the affirmation of people, and even family becomes the most important thing, then it will take over our lives. And Paul has dealt with this over the last two chapters of his letter to the Roman community, has he not? When being perfect, when being superior, or when being right becomes our North Star and guidepost, then we see what can happen to a community in Romans 14 and 15. It reverts itself in many ways back to the default setting, which is Romans 1 and 2. We exchange God for the images of ourselves, and what we see happening is a splintering of the body. You remember that from a few weeks ago? They quit eating with each other. They quit fellowshipping with one another. When we fill ourselves with ourselves, it becomes the most important thing for everyone to look like us, to be like us. What happens is, is that when we expect others to meet up to our image, to put it another way, when we expect others to, to, to meet up to our shortcomings and failings, our frailties, then we become the antithesis to this closing benediction that we read just now in Romans 15, 13. Our text for today is Paul reorienting the Roman community back towards what is most important. Paul closes with a benediction, a blessing to the Roman community. It is a blessing that reminds the community in Rome, but us also, where our source is, what our source of being comes from, where our source of being comes from. It's one verse. And after this verse, Paul goes into kind of a few missionary things. Look forward to seeing you guys right? Look forward to coming and seeing y'all and say hi to my friends. But he closes with this benediction, with this blessing. Paul's closing with the blessing for the Roman community speaks to the very thing he is hoping for the community to become. One verse, one blessing. He summarizes everything he's written. He summarizes everything in which he's, he's trying to say. And as he speaks to their issue, he also prays. He also blesses them to be filled with what? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. He prays they become that which they are struggling to embody through their issues with one another. He prays that they be filled with something other than that which they are filling themselves up with in the moment which is causing fracture. While Paul has spoken to the community about what they, how they must act towards each other, that they must see the other as better than themselves, which in theory sounds good. It does. It sounds, it sounds great, Paul, to me think of others as better than myself. But is that really easy to do? Do you really look at other people most days and think, boy, they are so much better than me? No, you don't. I don't. I constantly look at people. I constantly listen to people and said, I could say that better. I constantly 
uh, have conversations with people and I walk away going, what are they thinking? That was, yeah. I look at how parents parent their kids and I catch myself talking to Laurie and being like, I'm so glad I'm such a better parent than they are. <laughs> with my daughter going, really? I mean, we do it to ourselves all the time. In theory, it sounds good. And this is the refrain that Paul continually tells in the Roman letter. Think of others as better than yourself. Outdo one another with honor. It sounds like a broken record. I know it does. I really know that it can get old to be told that this is how we must see the other person, that we must see the neighbor, that we must see the person sitting next to us as better than ourselves. But I think it's that important for Paul. I think it's the ball game. If we can see others as better than ourselves, they can, then we're not projecting on to people our own selves, our own frailties. If we're allowing the person to be a person in front of us. I just think it's this important. It's the move that Paul is making. It's the reorientation that Paul is trying to get them to get away from the Romans 1 and 2 world. Trying to pull us away from being that. Pulling us away from Romans 1 and 2 and pulling us into this idea of a grace-filled life. For Paul, it's more than a cliche. It is our actual way forward and being in the world. It is the witness that something new has happened. That God has, through Jesus, broken in. And when Jesus says in Mark, the first chapter, I've come to tell you that the kingdom of God has come near. If we can do this, I think Paul says, then people begin to see that the kingdom of God has come near. And so what does Paul do in, the, do in this last part of Romans 15 as he closes this concern of what's been going on? He blesses them. He doesn't curse them. He blesses them. He doesn't keep beating the horse or continually reminding them of how they are mishandling the situation, which, by the way, is something that we're really, really good at. Are we not? Are we not really good at beating a dead horse? Are we not really good at reminding people around us just how bad they've been to us? Even after the fact? We just continually remind them of their mistakes. Of how they mishandled the situation. And yet Paul doesn't do that here. Instead, Paul says this. May you be filled with the God of hope. Maybe that's what we need today. Maybe we need to check ourselves and what we're feel, filling ourselves up with. Maybe we need to hear this blessing as one for us. May you be filled with the God of hope so that you can see others as better than yourself. In closing with the blessing to the community of Romans, Paul blesses instead of curses. Paul reorients and corrects the people back to God. He reorients their life, and not only their life, but the communal life 
back to which it is rooted in. And I think this is what Paul is doing through the entire letter of Romans. It's an entire reorientation of what the people fill themselves up with and where the people fill themselves up with. If you're filling yourself up with sin, well then, your hope is in the failing of sin. And we witness that in this port. We witness that in this section of the text. Paul's blessing is a kind of summation of what he has been trying to get them to to see in God. That the God of creation is the God of all hope. A hope for a different type of world. A hope for a different type of people. A hope of joy and peace. Did you catch that? A hope of joy and peace abounding in the world through those filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to just hear this blessing today as Paul saying, may the God of hope fill you today. Not just the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with peace and joy. This was Paul's hope for their way of living. The way of being in the world. The way of witnessing to a grace-filled life. That we go about our lives just trying to get through the day most of the time. And everyday life comes at us with all of these choices and all of these experiences. That when we woke up in the morning, we never thought we'd have to do. We never thought we would have to do this. We never thought we'd have to make this decision. Just this morning, I, get a, I have a, a, a very close college roommate whose daughter has a brain tumor, and they've just found a second one, and now they're in Florida on vacation, and she's had a brain bleed just this morning. We wake up every day like they did, not knowing what's going to happen, what choices we're going to have to make. And so we go through this, and we, we try to figure it out, and we negotiate it. And we try to figure out how we make the choices and what we do and and how we make those choices. What flows out is what's filled in us. And so even this morning with my friend in their situation and, and sitting here, I say, may the God of hope fill them with peace and joy. And may the Holy Spirit fill them with everything that they need. And it's hard. Some days are better than others. And it's like Paul knows that this is what we need in, the cl- in this closing and this is what we need today. It's like he knows that we are doing the best that we can with one another. So I'm not going to beat him up. He knows that we're trying to do the best that we can. So I'm not going to beat him up. Instead, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to encourage him to keep doing the best that they can. And that the God of hope is still working in them. That the God of hope is still working in you today. That God is still, even in their mess-ups, even in our mess-ups, still work, is still working today in us. And I think we need to hear that today. I think we need to hear the blessing today. We need to hear that God is working in us. And this is the good news for all of us. That God is working in us. That God is resting God's joy and God's peace in us. And it is God which brings about this life. It's rooted in that. So you could be like Nebuchadnezzar and look around and say, look at what all I did. But Paul says, or you could be the one who roots yourself in the God of hope. And be the one who can be a person of joy and peace. And you know those people. You know those people. The people who just are at peace. To know that God's got this. That God's got this. And I think that's what Paul's going for. For them to know that God's got this. That God's got them, their community. And despite the struggles, despite the divisions, despite the disagreements, 
May the God of hope fill you with joy. The community's life tomorrow will be filled with joy and hope. And what will keep the community together, even in the midst of disunity and disagreement, is God. I like what Karl Barth said, Karl Barth said here. He said, truth and mercy hold together Jew and Gentile, church and world. Who is here strong? Who is here weak? Above, before, behind, every human endeavor stands the God of hope. And this is where we are today. The hope of a community faithful to the witness of God through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our hope today is in God's working of hope to bring joy and peace to everyone we encounter today. And if not today, because today may be hard, then tomorrow. This is Paul's blessing in prayer, that we would allow God to be God in our life. Through the God of hope, Paul believes that in us is the possibility of joy, peace, and hope, which can displace and replace judgment and despising others. And maybe that's what we need again, a blessing, a reminder that each day God is using us. That each day is God's. That God is placing us in a moment to be joy and peace. That God is working in you right now and is working through you right now for a different story for yourself and for someone else. That what began in Romans 1 and 2 is not the final story, but the final story is Romans 15 and 13, a community that can say, may the God of hope Fill me with joy and peace. And so what I can say to you today is receive your blessing. Receive your blessing today. Receive your blessing tomorrow. Receive your blessing in the days to come that God is working a new beginning, a new version of the world through you. That God is filling you with His Spirit. So that then, can look upon the world when you stand on your roof and instead of saying look at what all I've built you can say wow look at what God is doing and look and pray that God will use me in this moment in the end to be a light of joy and peace to think of others as better than myself. So what are you filling yourself up with today? Is it your own selfishness, own desires, own ideas? Or are you filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit? Because what Paul says, seems to think is, that's what we need to get this done. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Today, tomorrow, and the days to come. If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand, as we sing.